have already either sent or received a Christmas card this season? Let me see your hand. That's what I thought, right? Most of us have either sent or received Christmas cards already. Well, you are not alone. As a matter of fact, during the Christmas season, 1.5 billion Christmas cards are sold every single year. Think about that. One and a half billion. Maybe we're in the wrong line of work, right? Maybe we need to start producing Christmas cards. One and a half billion Christmas cards. The next closest holiday is Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day, they only sell 145 million Christmas cards. It's one-tenth of what is sold during the Christmas season. From November the 15th until December the 25th, 37 million Christmas cards are sold every single day. 37 million Christmas cards a day. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some favorite Christmas cards. And some of my new favorite Christmas cards are Christmas cards that are being sold by Target. Target has discovered this website. How many of you have ever seen the website Awkward Family Photos? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, Target has taken these awkward family photos and turned them into Christmas cards. Now, if you don't know what awkward family photos is, it's a website of awkward family photos, right? Uh, That's what it is. It's real live photos that families took. And their intention was to use these photos, specifically the ones that are Christmas cards. They were using them for Christmas. They're not staged. They're not made up. It's real family Christmas photos that they were going to use for Christmas cards. And they just didn't turn out exactly the way they thought they were going to. Now, Target has taken that and turned it into a Christmas card that they're selling all over the country. I want to show you a couple of my favorite awkward family photo Christmas cards. The first one is just about joy. Take a look at this one. How awesome is that, right? I mean, doesn't that just ooze joy? One of my other personal favorites is one, Dad, you know what it's like. You don't always get the information, right? I mean, it's like in your own house, Dad is often the last person to know what's going on. Apparently, in this Christmas card, Dad didn't get the email, right? Somebody forgot to tell dad to wear his pajamas to the photo shoot, right? Now, that is an awkward family photo. Now, that's a Christmas card. Now, I don't know what your favorite Christmas cards are. Those are a couple of my new favorite Christmas cards. Now, some Christmas cards aren't funny like that. They're just generic. I don't really like the generic ones. I found this one. It's a generic Christmas card. It just says, happy, merry, bright, peaceful, all the best to you at Christmas. Could any less thought be put into a Christmas card, right? I mean, just pick a few random, make you feel good kind of words, put it on a card, sell it for $4.95, right? That's what they did with that one. But the card that I get, it seems like every year, is a card that usually has some kind of picture on the cover of it, of the nativity, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and sometimes it's in the stable. This one here is when they're riding on a donkey, but it always is that scene, and then on the inside of the card, it says this, for unto us... A child is born, unto us a son is given. How many of you have ever seen that Christmas card before, right? You've heard that little line inside a Christmas card. Well, that little line that's inside of that Christmas card that many of you have already received, a Christmas card with that little lyric in it, 
that's not just the inscription on the inside of a Christmas card sold during this season. That little line, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, is actually a quotation from the book in the Old Testament of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And what's interesting about that particular verse of Scripture is it was written prophetically. Say, what does that mean? Meaning it was written 700 years before Jesus was born. I want you to think about that. Try to, in your mind, think of something that happened 700 years ago. Uh, To give you an idea, 700 years ago, America hadn't even been thought of yet, right? We weren't even a blip on the radar. 700 years before Jesus was born, I want to show you the full quotation of what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. You can look up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you this afternoon. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, here's what it says. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Why don't we just all read that verse together off the screen? Let's read it. One, two, three. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Everything that we celebrate at Christmas is wrapped up in that sentence that was written 700 years before Jesus was even born. I want to share with you out of that simple verse that Isaiah wrote for us two reasons why we celebrate Christmas. First of all, Christmas celebrates something very ordinary. Christmas is a celebration of something that's very ordinary. Did you hear the way that 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 little phrase in that Christmas card or that phrase in this verse opened? It said, a child will be born. Now, to be totally honest, there's really nothing extraordinary. There's nothing uh, unusual about a child being born. As a matter of fact, children are born every day. 361,481 babies are born into the world every single day. That's 251 babies per minute. There's a lot happening while we're sitting in this service for about 60 minutes, right? The world is being populated as we speak. 251 babies per minute. And and the birth that Isaiah is writing about here, if we're going to be completely transparent, went unnoticed by most of the world. This birth of Jesus was not recognized at the time it happened, even in his own city. As a matter of fact, they couldn't even find a place to have this birth. They wound up in a barn or a stable. And yet this birth that seemed to be very ordinary has become the most celebrated event in human history. 
This birth that seemed ordinary transcends all racial, cultural, and geographical barriers and is recognized in every corner of the globe. As we gather here today, did you know that on December the 24th and 25th, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, from Iran to the Ukraine, to the United States of America, all over the world, the birth of Jesus Christ is being celebrated. Why was this very ordinary event such a big deal, a child being born? Well, the second half of that little phrase that's in the Christmas card, that's a quotation from Isaiah, speaks about something very extraordinary. You see, Christmas is not just the celebration of something ordinary. Christmas is the celebration of something extraordinary. It said a child will be born to us, but then it said a son will be given. 251 times this minute, children are born. But not every day is a son given. Christmas is a celebration of something ordinary. A baby was born. But Christmas is a celebration of something extraordinary. A son was given. And the Bible literally says, this son will be given to us. Unto us. It literally means for us. It's for our benefit. This birth of Jesus Christ into the world was the gift of God to us. The birth of Jesus is a glorious demonstration of the love of God for humanity. Listen to the way 1 John writes about it. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9, the Bible says, By this, the love of God was manifested. The word manifested means to display for all to see. By this, God's love was displayed for all to see. That God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Christmas is a celebration of a baby being born, but it's something so much greater. Christmas is a celebration of a son being given. God gave his son for humanity. Why did God give his son? Well, Isaiah tells us, and Isaiah actually told us 700 years before it ever happened. There's a lot that Isaiah says. I'm going to try to summarize it for you in two statements, and we'll be done this afternoon. Number one, the Son was given that we may see God. You know, left to ourselves. You and I would never discover God on our own. As a matter of fact, John wrote it this way in John 1.18. Listen to what he said. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, speaking of Jesus, he has explained 
him. The word explain there is a, a word that means to, to unpack, to declare thoroughly, to unfold, to make known. The Bible says nobody's seen God at any time with their eyes, but Jesus came that we might know who God is. Jesus came to make God known to us. Left to ourselves, we would never discover God, but God loved us, and God in his grace decided to make himself known to us, and God did that in the person of Jesus Christ. God gave his son that we might see God. So much so that R. Kent Hughes said it this way, when we see him, speaking of Jesus, we know just what the God of the universe is like. We know how he thinks. We know how he talks. We know how he relates to people. God has spoken in his son. Why did God give us Jesus? Why did God's son come into the world? Why did Jesus, as God, take on human flesh and enter humanity? Let me tell you why. Because he loved us so much and he wanted us to know who he was. Jesus came that we might see God. Now, Isaiah lists in this verse many things about Jesus that tell us about who God is. And we don't have time this afternoon to unpack all of them. But I want to share with you just a couple of things that we see in Jesus that we understand about the, the, the character of God. In Jesus, first of all, we see the glory of God. Did you hear what the Bible said? A child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor. How many of you have heard that before? Wonderful Counselor. Let me see your hand. Did you know that that's not just one title? In most translations of the Bible, we actually miscommunicate exactly what that is. It's not Wonderful Counselor, meaning he's a counselor that's wonderful. It's really two titles. He's wonderful. He's Counselor. He's mighty God. The word wonderful here is a word that means miraculous or marvel or something extraordinary or something beyond comprehension. Isaiah says when God gives his son, he's going to come into this world and he's going to be like nothing you have ever seen before. He is wonderful. He is extraordinary. He is beyond comprehension. One Hebrew scholar, Edward Young, says this about that word. The Old Testament usage of this word wonderful compels us to the conclusion that the Messiah is that which surpasses human thought and power. He is God himself. He's wonderful. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, said when Jesus is born... They're going to call him wonderful. They're going to see him and say, he's not like anyone we've ever seen before. He's extraordinary. He is beyond our ability to comprehend. That's what Isaiah prophesied, but it's not just what Isaiah prophesied. It's what people said about him. In the Gospel of John, John opens his gospel in a different way than all the other gospel writers open their gospel. Now, John was one of the disciples that walked with Jesus for three years, for three years, John heard every word that Jesus spoke. 
for three years, John saw every interaction that Jesus had with people. For three years, John saw every work that Jesus did. John was an eyewitness. He walked with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He followed Jesus. And I want you to listen to what John said. In John chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what he said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's using this idea of the Word to represent the person of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, meaning that when the creation of the world began, when the world began, the Word already was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Down in verse 14, listen to what he said. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John said, we've watched him for three years. This one who was God before the foundation of the world, this one became flesh. And the Bible says, dwelt among us. In the Greek text, it literally means to pitch your tent. It's the idea of living as a commoner. Jesus, God, came into the world and he lived among us just like an ordinary man. And listen to what John said. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw it. The word saw there is an interesting Greek word. It's it's one of the three different words in the Greek language that we translate with to to see or to saw, have have seen or, or, or saw something. This particular word is the Greek word theomai. We get an English word from it. It's the word theater. The word theomai means, like in our day, to watch something play out. It's, it's not just a casual glance. It's the idea of like us going into a theater and you're watching a movie. You're watching every scene play out. You're watching it closely because you're trying to follow the story and then draw a conclusion based on what you've seen. John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, for three years I watched him. For three years I listened to him. For three years I went everywhere he went. And John said, I saw it. Look what he says. We saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. He's wonderful. In Jesus, we see the power of God. Isaiah said, wonderful counselor, mighty God. The word mighty is a word that simply means strong or powerful. Jesus came into this world to reveal who God is. And one of the things he showed us is the omnipotence and the power of God. Did you know that there are 37 recorded miracles of Jesus in the four Gospels? 37 recorded miracles. And when I say miracles, I'm not talking about praying for rain and it rains. I'm talking about blind people being made to see and demon-possessed people being set free from demonic control and dead people being raised to life. One writer said this, J.C. Ryle said the, 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 the nature of his miracles were so many and so public and so incapable of being explained away that our Lord's enemies could only say they were done by satanic energy. They couldn't discount them. They were so many and so public and so obvious. All they could say was, well, it must not be God. It must be something else. 
37 of them recorded in the Bible. And listen to what John says in John 21. There are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Think about that for a minute. We have 37 recorded supernatural acts of God in the life of Jesus while he was on the earth in the four gospels. And John said, if we wrote down everything he did, there's not enough paper in all the world to contain all the books where we could place him for all that Jesus did. In Jesus, we not only see the glory of God, we see the power of God. In Jesus, we see the person of God. Isaiah said, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Eternal or everlasting Father. He says this one will be called Eternal Father. Now that causes some people some confusion. Why is the Son in Isaiah called Eternal Father? Well, it shouldn't confuse us very long because when we read what Jesus said, Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, and yet one in essence. Jesus, with that phrase, eternal Father, what's communicated to us is all that God is, Jesus is with skin on. Now, here's what that means Jesus is not just a good teacher. Jesus is not just a spiritual leader. Jesus is not just a miracle worker. Jesus is not just a man who became God. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is all that God is with skin on. Jesus is God became a man for us. The writer in the book of Colossians says it this way. He is the image of the invisible God. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You ever wrestled with the question, what is God like? I have a one word answer for you. Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. God gave his son that we might see God. Max Lucado wrote a great book called God Came Near. And in that book, he wrote it this way. It all happened in a moment. A most remarkable moment. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. 
He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluid of his mother. God had come near. God became a man. Why today, from Iran to the Ukraine to the United States of America, are people gathering in houses of worship and celebration? Let me tell you why we're celebrating today. Because God took on human flesh and became a man. And he did so that we might see him. God became a man. The son was given that we might See God. But there's a second and final reason, and I'll close with this. The Son was given that we may have peace with God. The greatest need of any person is to be made right with God. I don't know what brought you in here today. Some of you are here today because <clears throat> this is your church family and we're celebrating Christmas today and you're here joining in with your family to celebrate Christmas. Some of you are here today because somebody at a shop or a grocery store gave you an invite card and invited you to come and you just randomly came here today in response to an invite card. Some of you got something in the mail and you're here today. And that's, that's why you're here. Some of you are here today because a family member or a friend is been begging you and begging you and begging you to come and to get them to leave you alone. You finally said, all right, I'm coming. I'll be there. There's a lot of reasons we're here today. But regardless of the reason that you came today, the greatest need that any of us have is to be made right with God. A few moments ago, I read a verse to you that I want to read again. Because I want you to notice something that it says. It says, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world. But look what it says next. So that, read it out loud, we might live through him. See that little phrase, so that? Anytime you see those two little words in the Bible, so that, you need to underline them. Because it's like a flashing light. Here's what it means. Here's the reason why? God gave his son, and here's the reason why. So that we might live through him. Listen, all human beings have life, but not all human beings live. You see, God created us to live our lives in fellowship with Him. And what this verse says is that you and I will never enjoy life to the fullest. We'll never enjoy life. Doesn't mean we can't have some life, but we'll never live as God intended life to be lived apart from a relationship with God. And here's the reality. Because of sin, our relationship with God is broken. A little later on in his book, Isaiah 
wrote these words in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. Look what he says. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see, all of us today, as we come in this building, every one of us at some point in our lives have sinned against God. Now, we may not have all sinned in the same way or to the same degree, but we've all broken God's laws. We've all sinned against God. And here's what the Bible says. Because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. And what that means is because of our sin, we're separated from the reality of life as God intended it to be lived. I can never enjoy life. I can't be the husband that I'm supposed to be. I can't be the father that I'm supposed to be. I can't be the friend that I'm supposed to be apart from a love relationship with God because apart from a relationship with God. I cannot live life to the fullest. And because of my sin, I'm separated from a relationship with God. It's as if, say this finger represents me and this finger represents God and this book represents sin. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. The very reason for which we were created, we're separated because of our sin. And in order for us to have a relationship with God, our sin had to be dealt with. Because of sin, our relationship with God is broken. But because of Jesus, our relationship with God can be restored. Jesus came into the world to show us who God is. And Jesus came into the world to deal with our sin once and for all. On the cross, let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin and he removed it and he placed it on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. His death was not just symbolic. His death was not just a gesture of sacrifice. His death was a substitute for my sin. He stood in the gap for me and he took all of my sin on himself and Jesus died for my sin. But listen, listen. He didn't just die. Jesus rose again from the dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave as a testimony that God has accepted his sacrifice for our sin. And now, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I can be forgiven of my sin. Not based on anything that I've done, but based on everything that Jesus did. I can be forgiven of my sin and by grace given a relationship with God. That which I lost because of my sin can be restored because of the person of Jesus Christ. And that, friends, is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came. He came to show us who God is. And he came that we might have peace with God. I'll close with this verse. Look at it on the screen. Colossians 1.19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, listen, prince of peace. He came that we might have peace with God. Now listen to me. That's the Christmas story. That's why he came.
But knowing the Christmas story and the Christmas story being my story are two completely different things. You see, if you'd asked me up until I was a freshman in college, do you know the Christmas story? I said, oh, I know the Christmas story. I could have told you about Mary and Joseph and the stable and Jesus being born. I could have even told you Jesus was God in the flesh. I could have told you that Jesus died on a cross, rose again from the... I could have told you the whole Christmas story beginning to end. But it wasn't until September of 1989 as a freshman in college that the Christmas story became my story. I came to the place in my life where I realized I'd sinned against God. And I needed Jesus to save me. And I knelt down beside my bed in Florence, Alabama. And I surrendered the control of my life to Jesus Christ. And I experienced peace with God. I was forgiven of my sin. And I was given a relationship with the God of heaven. Not because I deserve it. Not because I earned it. Not because I could merit that. Not because I was becoming a better person. I was given that on the basis of everything Jesus did. And today, the Christmas story can become your story.